With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, welcome to the official show here on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. Eli Sussman here, managing editor at Fish Stripes, covering all things Miami Marlins for you. This should be a pretty quick episode touching on the state of the Marlins starting rotation. If you follow the team closely on fishstripes.com, on our social media accounts at fishstripes, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, etc., watch the games. Uh, You're well aware that the Marlins, one of the things they take so much pride in at this particular point in their rebuild is the depth of their starting rotation and the upside of a lot of these young starters. Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, essentially locked in to the 2021 opening day rotation. Eliezer Hernandez likely to have a slot in there. Sixto Sanchez, Trevor Rogers, right um, in that discussion for the back end of the rotation, all guys that we saw in the majors for the first time last year. And most of the rookies that we saw flashed a lot of promise in those roles. Very encouraging. All these guys under control for four more years or more. They're very bright days ahead when it comes to this Marlins rotation. There's no doubt about it. With a focus on the upcoming season, however, you see some red flags, or at least I see some red flags. I haven't seen them mentioned all that often. I have periodically been beating this drum the last couple months that the Marlins need to do something outside of their current internal rotation options to shore up things heading into this upcoming season to make to make some sort of effort to defend their postseason berth in 2020. And some interesting news coming out of Wednesday. Not a shock. Uh, I'd been ref- alluding to it for a couple days now that Corey Kluber, the former AL Cy Young Award winner, was going to be holding a throwing session in West Palm Beach, specifically at Eric Cressy's facility called Cressy Sports Performance. Most of you are probably, that doesn't ring any bells, but it is a a facility right around the corner from where the Marlins have their spring complex in Jupiter. Countless Marlins pitchers throughout the last decade have worked out there. Everybody from Brad Hand and Steve Ciszek to their current top prospects like Braxton Garrett, Jordan Holloway. I'm just thinking of the guys that I've seen there personally, but there's probably others behind the scenes. It is a very highly regarded facility, and uh, Corey Kluber has credited that facility for a lot of his development as a late bloomer, a guy that was never held in super high regard as a prospect, someone that was traded before 
He even made much of a dent in the majors, traded to the Indians, and then pretty soon after he got there and got to the major league level, he exploded as one of the more consistent starting pitchers in all of baseball. 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, every year a five-win pitcher, a six-win pitcher above replacement level, even topping out at 7.2 wins above replacement level. Uh, Just a joy to watch him during those handful of years. And on Wednesday, he held a throwing session in West Palm Beach. Uh, The finer details coming from Jeff Passan of ESPN that nearly 25 teams showed up to see Kluber at his showcase fastball averaging, well, sitting 88 to 90 miles per hour uh, with an expectation that he wasn't going 100%. There was an understanding that he was still progressing to get to full-on throwing baseball shape, as most pitchers do as we get closer to spring training. 30 total pitches, and he threw both his fastballs and his off-speed stuff. Compared to where he was in 2018, that last full season as an ace-level pitcher, Kluber's stock is significantly down, and the Marlins have something to do with that, unintentionally, of course. When the Indians were at Marlins Park uh, about a month into the 2019 season, Brian Anderson, our beloved uh, Brian Anderson, at the plate hit a scorching line drive comebacker that went right at Kluber during that start that day, and Kluber had to exit early, uh, clutching at his elbow, and it turned out that he fractured his elbow Oh my goodness, it nailed Kluber. Oh my goodness, it got him on the pitching arm, and that is not good. He could not get out of the way, that's for sure. It sidelined him for a couple months. On his way rehabbing from that injury, he suffered a separate, unrelated core injury, I think an oblique injury, and never made it back for the Indians down the stretch of that 2019 season. Got traded over the offseason, heading into 2020, A move that was relatively unpopular. It seems even then that the Indians were selling low on Kluber. uh, Didn't get a a blue-chip prospect in return. As it turns out, the Rangers only got one start, one abbreviated start out of Kluber before he suffered another injury to a muscle right near his throwing shoulder. No structural damage to the shoulder itself, but a muscle right around there. And during the shortened season, he didn't have the opportunity to come back from that either. Over those last two seasons combined... Just limited to, what is this, eight total starts from this guy. And combine that with his age, the fact that he'll soon be turning 35 years old, there's um there's a reason why he is available at this, at, at this stage of the offseason and a reason why the Marlins were in attendance. So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, this workout was happening literally down the street from the Marlins facility. They had no excuse missing out on this and the fact that they showed up it does not necessarily reflect that they have any serious interest in Kluber they just had uh, the good um, practice to like show up and do their due diligence as almost every team in the majors did uh, Joel Sherman of the New York Post has been on top of Kluber's progression to get to this point the last week or so um, from his angle of course being in New York he is looking at it from the Yankees potential interest and the Mets potential interest I- I'd say Uh, And there's a good reason to believe those are more likely destinations for Kluber than the Marlins are. And, uh, I mean, what Joel pointed out is for someone at this stage of his career, who will be entering his age 35 season, that, and this is quoting Sherman, usually a mid-30s broken toy pitcher stays that way. 
when players have a significant hiatus the way that he has had or just generally being very limited in time, I should mention that over those eight starts that he made the last two years, the bottom line results are not Kluber-like. He was about half a win above replacement level, prorated over a full year. He was pitching like a league average pitcher during that small sample in 2019 and 2020. So that's... um, that's notable. It's a small sample, but if you have no other data on him over the last two and a half years, then that needs to weigh into the situation. And that explains why he's the kind of guy that conceivably could fall within the Marlins price range. Uh, But I mean, back to Joel Sherman, he points out a couple exceptions to the norm. Guys in this late age of their career that have uh, revived their careers and sustained a high level of performance for a significant amount of time after that, John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer, he had Tommy John surgery into his 30s, came back as a reliever, a dominant reliever, and then later into his 30s, he was back in the rotation again for the Braves. There's also the case of Bartolo Colon, the ageless Bartolo Colon, uh, now, as we're recording this, in his late 40s and still not technically retired from baseball, but in his late 30s, he had that PED suspension for a type of steroid, and he missed big time of that serving his suspension, yet he came back from that with the Oakland A's, and he was one of the best pitchers in their rotation for several years, came to the National League East with the Mets, and he was good enough with the Mets that he was starting uh, games in the postseason for them. I believe he also appeared in the 2015 World Series, by which point he was already 42 years old, so he had a, a lot of longevity afterwards, and I remember his velocity also was astoundingly good for that age, still sitting in the mid-90s. To me, though, the example, the exception to the norm, the optimistic outcome for Kluber at this point would probably look something like Chris Carpenter. You may remember Chris Carpenter from the Cardinals. I mean, he won a Cy Young Award in the early 2000s. Somewhat of a similar career trajectory with Kluber in terms of how late he emerged as a star pitcher. He had a handful of years early on with the Blue Jays where didn't do much of anything, and it wasn't until he winded up with the Cardinals that he emerged as the best version of himself. A credible innings eater for about a two- or three-year span, and then in 2007 it was, he underwent Tommy John surgery. And at that point he was, I believe, 33, 34 years old, Uh, That's a more serious setback than the shoulder, the the elbow and shoulder muscle injuries that Kluber has, but uh, it did its part in sidetracking him for the better part of two years uh, in in 2007 and 2008. And yet he he came back from that with the Cardinals, and he had another three, four really great years after that in their rotation as one of the league leaders in innings pitched. And that's what really appeals to me about Kluber is the track record he has had as a as a workhorse because that's the main concern that I have with these Marlins pitchers. You have Sandy Alcantara. To this point in his career, thankfully, Sandy has been virtually injury-free. Missed a little time on the injured list with an arm infection in 2018, but that was more of a fluke injury than anything that you should be worried about. The problem is, outside of him, almost every other candidate for a Marlins rotation job whether it's for opening day 2021 or as a call-up midseason, there are concerns with all of them, at least in their track record when it comes to their health. Pablo Lopez, who has always been my very favorite rotation candidate for the Marlins since he emerged around the same time that Sandy did, coming off a great 2020 season. But prior to that, 
he's had year after year of shoulder issues. And he also has Tommy John very far in his history. But in 2018, and even more severely in 2019, missed time with a shoulder strain with Jordan Yamamoto that some of you are pretty low on, understandably, with Yamamoto coming off what he did in 2020. But he has uh, some intriguing swing and miss stuff, and he's just as young as Pablo and Sandy is. A minor league option remaining, he could still have a role with this organization moving forward if he's healthy. But just like with Pablo, he's had a couple shoulder injuries in his recent history as well. Sixto Sanchez, I mean, the reason why he was available to the Marlins in the first place is because the Phillies weren't totally sold on his long-term durability. He suffered a elbow injury in 2018 that uh, limited his progress through their farm system at that point. Thankfully, the Marlins managed him pretty carefully in 2019, and there was no recurrence of that elbow issue whatsoever. But he is uh, unconventionally small in stature for a starting pitcher, and uh, fair or not, that's always going to play into the calculus and how much you really trust them uh, year in and year out. Braxton Garrett, Tommy John survivor, Jordan Holloway, Tommy John survivor, uh, Nick Niter in 2019 missed a big chunk of the year with a meniscus injury, so not quite as directly implicated with your pitching ability. That may have been somewhat unlucky on his part. I'm still pretty high on Nidert, but that's, again, his availability is somewhat in doubt. And Eliezer Hernandez, who I've seen pretty frequently mentioned as trade bait, whether it's for Andrew Benintendi or Wilson Contreras, uh, personally, in my mind, he's pretty essential to what the Marlins are trying to accomplish this coming year. Um, if he's healthy, because he was not around for this postseason run with the Marlins or in all of September after suffering a lat injury. And by all accounts, he is fully recovered from that at this point uh, with spring training almost around the corner. He seems to be uh, back on track from that. But it's pretty much everybody. Trevor Rogers is kind of the exception here where uh, Rogers is he was handled also pretty carefully early in his career coming out of the draft. But as far as I can tell, has never really had that one significant injury that gives you great pause when you're projecting forward to a full season. Um, and that's what we're doing at this point, because Major League Baseball sent out a memo to all the teams, all the agents recently uh, declaring their intention of opening spring training camps on time in mid-February, starting spring training games in late February and keeping opening day just as it was scheduled to be on April 1st. If you're going to proceed with an 162-game season, uh, you know, work in potentially some postponements or cancellations for COVID-related reasons, that if you're going to make it through this whole season, a major league team should proceed with uh, at least a group of 10 potential starting pitchers that they trust in their organization. And I named about nine of them just now. Uh, And there are a few others you could put in that conversation. Daniel Castano who I think exceeded just about everybody's expectations with what he did uh, last year, although I'm not sure how sustainable that is. Uh, George Guzman, who was held in very high regard not that long ago, being acquired from the Yankees in the Giancarlo Stanton trade. There are, um, you could, if you squint carefully enough, if you are really on the bright side, then maybe you could see a path for the Marlins doing this all with existing options. But I'm just here to give you a reality check that uh, these guys are not experienced. 
because not only do most of them have somewhat concerning injuries in their recent past, but you just don't have a track record of any of them doing much at all at the major league level, aside from Sandy having a couple of quality seasons under his belt at this point. You feel he'll really, uh, I mean, I personally, I'll, I'll give you my preference, with Edward Cabrera, another name that we should mention that will definitely be debuting during 2021. Edward Cabrera, I'm really high on Nick Neidert as well. I think those guys can step up to the majors and immediately be quality starters. They could be. They have the potential to be. That doesn't mean they will be. With these type of players, most of them, evaluators will tell you they have a future grade somewhere between 45, 50, and 55, right around uh, league average quality starting pitcher. All of them have the potential to be really solid starters, at the very least, back-end starting pitchers. But that's the almost the best-case scenario. Even if they do stay healthy, and even if they do reach their potential, there's no saying that they're going to reach their potential in their rookie year or in in their first full year, even if they had debuted in 2020. All of them are on different timelines, bringing us right back to Corey Kluber, who did not settle in as an elite starting pitcher until he was 28 years old. That's pretty far along. And just to put that in perspective, when he was 28, he emerged. There's nobody in the Marlins organization who will even be, who's a rotation candidate legitimately, that will even be 27 on opening day. Uh, Daniel Castano is the oldest of the bunch, and if you take him and put him on the back burner as AAA depth, then the graybeard of their projected rotation is Eliezer Hernandez, who is not even 26. So these guys are all on their different schedules. The Marlins have invested a lot of energy and time into putting together the best possible player development operation. We've seen some very positive signs from the way these pitchers have progressed through the minors, uh, the, re- the way that they stepped up coming out of the alternate training site during the 2020 season. There are some good things happening here, but that doesn't guarantee that these guys will be totally ready to be the best version of themselves immediately. There, there may need to be some adjustments. When you're approaching this 2021 season, uh, there's a case to be made that coming off of the pandemic with all the lost opportunities to make revenue for the team, um, the fact that the Marlins, through some very poor timing, were settled with the entire salary of Wei and Chen, all $22 million instead of having a prorated, the organization probably lost money this past season. And as of this recording, their TV deal is still in limbo. Their local television deal, which is something we circled as soon as the team changed ownership three plus years ago, that renegotiating that deal long term was going to be so critical to this organization actually spending like a mid-market team instead of one of the smallest in the league. And they, the reality is they've steadily reduced their payroll each year under new ownership, and they're poised to do that again, at least compared to what the full season's worth of revenue, full season's worth of payroll would have been in 2020, that currently they're on track to spend less than $60 million on payroll entering the new season. And if they stand pat with what they are right now, it's a roll of the dice that their internal options, that that a good chunk of these prospects, many who we saw at the major league level for the first time last year, others that are right on the cusp of debuting in 2021, uh, and even some that have been are in that post-prospect uh, buy-low 
situation. Isan Diaz, Lewis Brinson, guys that uh, we've seen some discouraging things from at the major league level, but still have incredible pedigree and skill. It's not insane to bank on the fact that those guys will reach a new level that after that some combination they'll find the right players to step up in those situations at second base between Isan and Jazz Chisholm in right field between Brinson and Monte Harrison and Harold Ramirez and Jesus Sanchez uh, at catchers if, if Jorge Alfaro bounces back from a pretty much lost year that this could be a cheap team and still be a very competitive team but there's, uh, there's no reason for them to stand pat given the limited commitments they have and understanding the fan-based mindset that we had so much fun during the 2020 season. And it, it doesn't seem like you're upholding your commitment to the fans if you're not actively seeking ways to improve the team, to plug holes, to do so efficiently at a time where spring training is around the corner and there's still well over 100 major league free agents a lot of decent free agents, some star-level free agents still out there, that with all those guys out there, as those dates approach, you got to think that they'll be attainable on relatively affordable deals. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Corey Kluber being one example, um, based on the best estimates from ESPN and also from Joel Sherman of the New York Post, uh, they think his market is going to be a guaranteed deal around the $5 million range, $5 million, $6 million guaranteed, with a bunch of incentives on top of that, that give him the opportunity to perhaps even triple that salary, uh, upwards of $15 million to $18 million, something like that, where if he has the season that we've historically seen from him, where he makes 32 starts, where he keeps his ERA around three, and where he strikes out 200, 225 hitters, that that would give him an opportunity to make a, a bunch of money for, for himself, the kind of salary that he's accustomed to having under under his previous contract. And would the Marlins make that type of offer to him? I don't think so. Maybe that guarantee is reasonable for them, although I don't think they would hop on quite as many incentives and potentially put themselves in a position where they're paying so much for him. But I think the fit is absolutely there, given how durable he was before these couple fluky injuries. And uh, despite his age, he is a guy that you could get on a one-year deal, which is not something that could be said for all the available free agent starters at this time. One name that I circled at the beginning of the offseason was Jake Odorizzi, who somewhat like Kluber uh, was kind of sidetracked in his career by a fluky injury in 2020. He absolutely would have pitched in 2020 some more if it was a full-length season, but he was limited to three or four poor starts due to uh, a series of uh, stints on the IL. Uh, but as things have progressed, and if you've seen some of these other deals that starting pitchers are getting in free agency, they're doing pretty well for themselves. It's uh, it's kind of surprising. Uh, guys, uh, Char- Charlie Morton, for example, let go by the Rays and ends up signing for a whole lot more money than the Rays would have owed him under his club option. Uh, 
way that Drew Smiley also got paid by the Braves, even though Smiley had a very limited track record of actually being a steady, reliable starter. And, uh, oh, Mike Miner going to the Kansas City for a big two-year deal, despite also being very deep into his 30s, that someone like Oda Rizzi, I think, is going to be a multi-year guarantee, as will, of course, Trevor Bauer being out there, uh, probably Taiwan Walker, multi-year deal for him as well. And for the Marlins, I think the best fit is having someone on a one-year deal. I think it's reasonable for them to prioritize short-term help and put their faith in some of these pitchers that are coming up through the system. If you're dreaming of a future where the Marlins can build their whole rotation, most of their entire pitching staff out of just homegrown arms, that future could be here as soon as 2022. But it's not here right now if the team actually has any aspirations of being competitive, if they want people to believe that they're trying at the major league level, they still need to do more. It goes without saying they need to do more offensively, whether it's a catcher or in right field or just a, a general power left-handed bat, that there are a variety of things they can do on the offset, offensive side to give themselves a better chance. And of course, probably the most obvious glaring need they have right now is in the back end of their bullpen after not re-signing Brandon Kinsler, who remains out there in free agency. And the understandable interest, they may want to look for a different type of reliever in that role. They have other areas to address. Starting pitcher is not at the top of the list. I'm not saying that it should be the highest priority, but I think it should be addressed in some way before we get to the start of the season. And one other way just to present what I've been hammering home the last, what, 20, 25 minutes is if you look at their rotation last year, I mean, there were unusual circumstances, of course, last year with the COVID outbreak, but some of the pitchers who made starts for them in 2020, Caleb Smith, who's since been traded to the Diamondbacks, Umberto Mejia, who was traded along with him, Josh A. Smith made a start and he has since signed to play in Korea, Uh, Jose Urania has since moved on to the Tigers, and there was one more I thought I saw, yeah, and Robert Duggar, Robert Duggar made a start as well and several long relief appearances, but he's since been claimed off waivers by the Mariners. Uh, Overall, that is 11 starts from the 60-game season. I love how that number lines up. 11 out of 60, it is pretty close to once every five days. Those are the number of pitchers that made starts for them last season that are no longer in the organization. And that leaves, to me, a, a void, a void for them to fill because over the course of a full season, there are those injury concerns I mentioned. There are those inexperienced concerns that can manifest themselves in poor performance. There could be some of these prospects that we are so high on that simply things don't click for them immediately and they need to be sent back down. That over the course of a season, you're going to need a lot of decent starting pitchers. The Marlins are in a fortunate place where all of their internal options are are under long-term control, and they're all extremely cheap for this upcoming season. None of them are even arbitration eligible yet among these starting pitching options. So despite the uncertainty with their local television deal, it's going to be there relatively soon. I'm not looking for them to make anything, to do anything risky that has long-term implications in this department, but there should be room to do something for 2021. There are a bunch of options out there. 
aside from Kluber, just other names that I think could be attainable on a one-year deal, Jose Quintana, Alex Wood, uh, Gio Gonzalez, who's a Miami native, and uh, Anibal Sanchez, an old friend who we've seen in this division the last few years. He's coming off a down year as well. Uh, I mean, compared to them, though, I'd say Kluber which is clearly the one that has more upside of the bunch. He is also the oldest one of the bunch. And just going back to the insider, Joel Sherman from the New York Post, he he seems not directly reporting it, but he seems pretty convinced that the Mets would be a great fit for Corey Kluber. We've seen what the Mets have done this offseason. Uh, most recently, the blockbuster to acquire both Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor from the Indians, that even though they finished behind the Marlins in the standings last year, it's going to be hard to dispute that they're the superior team right now. And if not them, I could see the Phillies going in. In this department, the Phillies have been awfully quiet this offseason, and I don't think they're content with continuing to be an embarrassment relative to expectations. That They'll do something on the back end of their rotation, and honestly, just about any, any team, except for the Braves, the Braves seem more or less set with their rotation for the 2021 season. But if going with Kluber prevents him from haunting you within the division, uh, understanding that, as the schedule is originally said, about half their games come inside the NL East. But I think we should also consider the possibility that as things get closer, depending on where we are with COVID, that Major League Baseball may opt to adjust the schedule and make it very regional in the same way that the 2020 season was. Remember last year, the Marlins played two-thirds of their games within the division in the NL East for that reason. And I don't think we can totally rule that out again, just understanding the kind of elevated risk in terms of transmitting the virus that happens when you're doing travel. So adjustments could be made in the schedule where you travel less and you play some familiar faces a lot more in the same way that the Marlins got extremely rough luck they faced Jacob deGrom in four consecutive starts during the middle of the year and uh, surprisingly won, I think, one or two of those games against deGrom. But they may not get so lucky with Kluber. And imagine the scenario if they're both teammates next year leading the Mets rotation uh, to try to uh, vault themselves uh, to the top of the division for the first time in a long time. I just want to see them do something in this rotation department uh, for all the reasons just mentioned, and just one final thing about the intangibles that veteran starting pitchers can bring. I'm, I think uh, a lot of us got frustrated at times with what Jose Ureña did as Marlin. Um, glimpses of being the kind of great pitcher you think he could be, but never really sustaining it for big portions of time, never putting it all together, and finishing his Marlins tenure on a very unfortunate note uh, eerily similar to Corey Kluber's injury with a line drive comebacker right at the mound that uh, fractured his arm, made him unavailable for the postseason. But with that being said, he's a guy that you ask just about any of these young starting pitchers in the Marlins rotation right now, contending for jobs in the near future, they looked up to him. They really respected him. Urania wasn't all that much older than them, but uh, when they arrived to the Marlins, most of them via trade, that Arena was already here. He was already in the rotation. He already knew about Miami, and he was someone that came from very humble roots, that he was not a highly regarded prospect at all early in his professional career, and he worked himself into being um, 
even if it wasn't the very best version of himself, that he was a starting pitcher in this league for several years. And one of the only familiar faces in this rotation, both before and after the ownership change, they respected him. In that same category, Dan Straley, who is pitching Korea last year and is back re-signing with that team for 2021, that Dan Straley, even you put knocks on him for having trouble keeping balls in the ballpark, and uh, maybe the Marlins gave up too much in the trade to acquire him from Cincinnati a few years back. But he was the same way in terms of how he went out of his way to help young pitchers, to help them develop best practices, uh, to, to answer any of the questions that they had from the very important ones to just the basics about how to go about a, a routine and how to make adjustments during a game, what type of data to look at to be the best version of yourself, how to interpret your performance, that these are the intangibles that veteran pitchers can bring. As sexy as it is to envision a, hump, a homegrown young rotation uh, like the Marlins could potentially have, that that veteran presence is still so critical to bring in. And to me, the Marlins are really fortunate that we're in this offseason that is moving so slowly and there it's way more supply than there is demand of these type of guys that they can get a really impactful on and off the field starting pitcher on a relatively cheap one-year deal. I'm, I'm not optimistic that it's going to be Kluber. I think attending his workout as much as anything was doing their due diligence and of course aided by the convenience of being where he was situated right around the corner from their facility. So I wouldn't get your hopes up about that, but this is once again another plea for them, whether maybe there's a creative trade out there that I'm overlooking, but most likely via free agency that Marlins make some sort of one-year commitment to bring in veteran presence um, to make sure that they're highly coveted young starting pitchers who have a world of potential, that being around a veteran pitcher who has been there and done that before could make so much of a difference in how they perform during 2021 but also the kind of trajectory that they're on for uh, the rest of the, the decade and put them in position to reach their full potential by having the good influences around them. Thanks for listening, guys. If you want more coverage on Andrew Benintendi, on Wilson Contreras, we have full articles with trade proposals on them up on fishstripes.com. I handled the Benintendi one. The Wilson Contreras article, that's from Ethan Badowski, who will have a pretty massive presence on our Fish Tribes platform throughout the spring and into the summer. So I'm very excited for Ethan's involvement in our content as well. Uh, more than a dozen other contributors that will be on Fish Tribes on the podcast and on the website um, this upcoming season. There's still some big plans to get sorted out once we get a little more certainty about what the season is going to look like and exactly what kind of team the Marlins have put together for the season. So I uh, I made a plea for the Marlins to do more, but I also want to um, calm everybody down, anybody that is panicking about the Marlins not doing anything, that there are still so many options out there and the way that the market is moving so slowly that uh, I'm still optimistic that we'll have something new to talk about relatively soon. Next episode of the official show, we will have a special guest that is MLB.com Marlins beat reporter, brand new to that full-time position, Christina DeNicola. So if you have any specific questions for her, 
uh, just let me know on social media or on the website so that we can ask that to her. Uh, that should be a fun episode that you'll find on the same feed wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please subscribe, uh, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. That'd be much appreciated as well. And anything else you want me to talk about uh, in the near future about the way that this Marlins team is going together, you know how to contact me with those suggestions. For Eli Sussman and all of Fish Stripes, thank you for listening. Go Fish. Go Fish.